Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take The Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume The Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume The Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. I'm Nicola Talent and you can listen to my brand new podcast, Beast, The Murder of Nora Sheehan, streaming now wherever you get your podcasts. If your best workers from a McKinnon's point of view are spending their time looking over the shoulder worried about being shot by one of their peers it's not good for business. You want those guys yeah. to be concentrating on selling the product and getting the money laundered and moved on. And you're not talking about like 80 quid going missing from a till. You're talking about 3 million quid. These guys are known as associates of you know major drug dealers. We believe that they've taken over the business and this is what they're doing and this is how they're making money. And you know a guy who's supposedly on the dole or working as a plasterer is suddenly spending 3 million. I'm Nicola Talent. And you're listening to Crime World, a podcast about criminals, drugs and the sins of the underworld in Ireland and across the globe. A judgment is expected in the coming months in a case between the Criminal Assets Bureau and David Waldron, once a top associate of Eamon the Don Dunn. Already his brother Christopher has settled his case with the Criminal Assets Bureau, agreeing to hand over a house and expensive watches. But brother David has fought to the bitter end with a full hearing around a property portfolio valued at 2.8 million euro. At the heart of the cab demands is a stunning country mansion bought, they say, with the proceeds of crime. Today, I'm talking to Eamon Dillon about David Waldron and his brother, Christopher Gitt, and their long links to organised crime. This is Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. Eamon, welcome. Thanks again, Nicola. It's great to be here. I've been counting the days. Got mail. Got mail. Just want to show you so some smart arse that sent me in. Okay. Calculator. Very good. Very nice good. one too, isn't it? So you can go past 10 now. Desktop electric calculator, right? So that's now going to be here. And it's marked to Nicola and Niall. So he's obviously fallen into the category of... Hi, Nicola and Niall. You may have already been sent one, but if not, here's a present. <coughs> Love the podcast and the show. At least it wasn't a, a nasty one. Thank you, Orla. Yes. So I don't have a calculator, so we will need it for today because we're talking... Well, we're back on the cab. We're, we're back on the criminal assets bureau. So there's going to be a couple of facts and figures, sure. but I think it's it's all right because I have them. So, I you, have them pre-calculated. Yeah, you that. weren't in remedial maths, obviously, in school, were you? 
see, you were doing honours all the way. I'll keep it here in case, just keep a check on you. Anyway, we're going to talk about the Waldrons, the brothers Christopher Git Waldron and David Waldron. Um, maybe start with who they are and their connections, I think. Yeah, they're, 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 I suppose uh, Finglas is where they're from um, and they would have been part of that generation you know, that would have included Marla Hyland, who's the major gang leader who was shot dead in 2006. They would have kind of, I suppose, been much younger men at that stage. Um, Eamon Dunn then, who filled that slot, would have been an associate of theirs, along with uh, uh, Alan, the two Bradley brothers, Fatpus and Alan. Uh, you know, and and they very much seem to, uh, after Eamon, the Dunn's, Eamon the Don, Dunn's murder in, 2006, in 2010, they were pretty much suspected of kind of moving into that turf and taking over and making plenty of money from drugs. Now, a lot of this is alleged in what the Criminal Assets Bureau have been saying. They've gone after various properties. Uh, for Two separate cases two, against them. Two separate cases yeah. against them. Um, and and uh, David's wife, Charlene, also added herself to the case in that uh, she, she was claiming one of the houses uh, that she, she was part owner, one of the houses that was targeted by Cab, which we'll get to. I think you had a, I was at a, a particular interest in it, I see from looking back through the records. Really nice. Over the last couple of years in a nice part of the countryside. Actually, you know, if Cab are selling it, I might even just throw my... You've always wanted the man den that's in there as well. I just like the whole idea of having a pad down the country somewhere and like surrounded with, like there was a... There was a sort of a an outdoor arena for horses and stuff. I could get back into my show jumping briefly when sports, I yeah. was afraid then I was going to fall. But before we just move on to them, going dipping back briefly to Marlow Highland and Co. So that turf originated under the control of PJ Judge, known as the Psycho, who was murdered himself, suspected to be murdered by Marlow Highland, who took over his turf. And subsequently, Highland built up a huge uh, gang out there. He became public enemy number one and the top target of the guards because they didn't realise, I think, for a while. they, they I think they started a thing called Operation Oak, which was to target all the drug gangs in Dublin. Then when they realised how big Marlowe's operation had got, they separated it into another operation just to target him. And... They had huge success. They seized loads of weapons, loads of drugs. There was something like 22 seizures, which created a massive paranoia within the grouping and um, within Marlowe's own world. And I think that's really what ended up causing this next schism, which was when Eamon the Don Dunn did exactly what Marlowe had done before him. He took out the boss to take over. Yeah, he was apparently the the getaway driver on, on the evening that he was killed along with a completely innocent young uh, plumber's apprentice um, Anthony Campbell Anthony Campbell yeah. uh, which is still an unsolved and very shocking murder I know there's kind of a I think there's been a chief suspect named in the past um, who's serving a long sentence for or, or I think he might have recently just finished that for for other reasons but yeah and like it was one, it's one of those cases where you, you always bring up when people say you know, come up with this idea, let the gangsters kill each other. You say, well, you actually can't afford to do that yeah. because things like this happen, you know. And I think it was near to Christmas. He was staying in a house in Scribblestown Park in Finglas, Marlowe. He was moving around a lot because he felt under threat from a lot of things, his own um, and also the guardie. And he was staying in the house he was had slept on in the morning and the plumber arrived. Um, he was an apprentice. His boss had gone to collect some supplies and this gunman burst in basically and shot Anthony Campbell on the way out. Always believed because he didn't ever want him to be able to identify him. 
So he just took his life. And that was raised in the dole by the then Justice Minister Michael McDowell. Um, it caused an outcry. It was one of those murders that really the nation buckled and realised this gangland threat isn't just, you know, something that is just affects the underworld, that it does spill into civilised society. Um, but nonetheless, on it went and Eamon the Don Dunn himself became a huge threat to the security of the state um, and was he, murdered on the orders of the Kinnahans, I think. And he's, his own reign at the top of that gang was probably one of the most vicious and blood-soaked of any gang leader, mm. uh, considering that he wasn't necessarily involved in a feud like the McCarthy Dundons or, or Fat Freddy and, 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 and Radigan in, in Crumlin Trimna. Um, and they, there's something like 15 murders are attributed to Dunn and at least two of them were double murders, which, you know, were quite shocking. And, and he just sort of turned on people, did he? He, 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 it was anyone who was even basically a possible threat. And, and certainly, I think the first kind of high profile one was John Daly, who would have been a very loyal member of Marla Highland's gang. And if you remember, he kind of hit the headlines with his phone call from his jail cell in Portlaoise Prison in high security at the time. Uh, and when, when he came out, then he was throwing his weight around, you know, having been promised money on his return from being on holidays in prison. Um, when that wasn't forthcoming, then, you know, he, he was getting more irate. And he was shot dead. And it, it, was, very, it was very much a, a message that the Don was putting down at the time. And they went on, there was, there was other people, there was, there was other people killed just on the basis that they might kill him. I mean, we know Gilroy went missing because there was fears that he would, he, he would actually spill the beans on having carried out a double murder for, for the Don. So, I mean, he was particularly nasty, vicious piece of work, mm. you know. Um, and as we know, I mean, well, not as we know, but as we suspect, um, when he was shot dead then in 2010, Eamon, Eamon Dunn was, we think, the target of a wide, disparate group of criminals who just wanted to see the back of him at this stage. And mm. it was okayed by the Kinnahans who it had really chaotic, been... chaotic, really. They had, yeah, it was, just, it was bad for business to be shooting yeah. people like that. So that. No one could, you know, if, if, if your best workers from like the Kinnahans' point of view are spending their time looking over the shoulder, worried about being shot by one of their one of their peers, it's not good for business. You want those guys yeah. to be concentrating on, on selling the product and getting the money laundered and moved on and, you know, and getting the business running. So, yeah. And you see, that's an incredible, like when you think back that that's the way the Kinnahans approached that totally business-like. I mean, they themselves ended up getting lured into a personalised feud then, which was incredibly bad for their business. In a way, yeah. I, I suppose the, the reason there, you could argue, was that that was a civil war. Mm. Um, I mean, like Git Gilroy would have been, I think, pals, you know, he was sent by the Don, you know, over to over to Spain. I think they even put him in through a, a, a drug rehab clinic at the time. And it was Gary Hutch was his pal at the time. Mm. You know, and, and Eamon, the Don Don, again, was... Uh, wasn't he great pals with Paddy Doyle, who was murdered in Spain as well? Another, yeah. you know, kind of would have been part and parcel of, of the Kinahan setup. So, yeah, I mean, look, I mean, the Kinahans, you know, supposedly put the pressure on to keep the keep the Lynn things in the Limerick feud as well. I mean, it is, it's it's a pretty smart business move, really, when you consider it from, from, from that point of view. But they murdered very quickly as well during all those years. If you think about that, those names you've mentioned, each of those names, Paddy Doyle, Gary Hutch, and obviously Aim the Don Dunn, Git Gilroy, were all suspected of being murdered under the Kinahan's orders. Yeah, and that's, uh, that, and that's you know, and, and as time goes on, it, it does look like that, you know, suspicion is correct. That's right. Yeah. I mean, you can never be... Along with many others that, you know, Jared Hatchet Kavna. You know, I always wonder why 
with him. What was the reasoning? Because I think it is pretty much universally accepted that he was an in-house killing. He was murdered by, under the orders of the Kinnahans. Was there a jealousy there? What, you know, did he pocket money or did Daniel Kinahan just simply not like him? Uh, and again, there's often, you know, a fear or paranoid fear of blowback. You know, you train someone up or, you you know, you make someone powerful within your own organization because they're the person you rely on uh, to carry out, you know, these drastic deeds of, mm. of killing somebody or, or, you know, doing whatever, torturing people. And then you realize they're, they're also got the evidence is all in their head and they're, they're the people who could put you away. It was certainly something that motivated Eamon Dunn. I'm sure it motivated Daniel Kinnan on, on occasion. Yeah. That you can't afford to have loose tongues or, you know, potential loose tongues. And I, I think when, you know, certainly with the Don, he was using so much drugs, you know, I think was in, in one of the pieces that I was reading today, they were talking about five grams a day. So you're not, you're not really going to be in a, in a straight form of mind for working out who's your enemy if you're using that much of cocaine at the mm. time, you know? Plus, if you're, if you're constantly on the move. And within all that world, that chaos that exists and that paranoia and double cross and everything, the Waldron brothers have not only survived, but they have gone on to, according to the Criminal Assets Bureau, feathered their nests quite nicely from their careers in organised crime. Now, two separate cases and one has been settled. The other will go to a full hearing. Um, yeah, it's two separate cases. And what happened this week was uh, Christopher Gitwaldron's, uh, it was settled. Now, that involved uh, two two houses and three designer watches. Now, the designer watches, I think previously there'd been a, a receiver appointed to them. So that was pretty much kind of a tap in for the Criminal Access Bureau to get that. They were very, very nice ones. I just, I, I took a note. So you have a, a Breitling Super Avenger, a Rolex Deep Just with Diamonds and a Cartier Santos Automatic. And between them, I think they were worth... Well, one of them was definitely worth seventeen thousand, and it was it was a much higher figure. I think it might have been as much as eighty thousand. I think was oh one of the God. one of the figures. The watch I heard in court, but I, I not, can't quite remember if that's yeah. right. But between the three of them, that's how much you know they, they were looking at. So because it, it, this, it, so Christopher's case didn't go to a full hearing. Yeah. It, it was settled, um, which which meant that I suppose none of the affidavits were were open. So we won't necessarily see um, some of the more interesting stuff that we might otherwise. Uh, his house in Cabra, which is the one he put a you know a substantial amount in to to renovate, so basically agreed to give that up. But he gets to hang on to a separate property then in in I think it's uh, where is it Mellows Mellows Avenue Mellows Road in in Finglas. So he he gets to keep. Would that, that be that, an original family home or was I'm, it? I'm not sure, but that, that was that was basically returned to him. Yeah. So and that's uh, like so the one in Cabra is where if you remember one of our colleagues got the picture of him shirtless. Yes, with his. Uh, his fine manly build. Is that on out. the Kalala Road? That's the Kalala Road. That's that the is the house, family so. home we've described it as before. So the yeah. Mellows Road property must have been an investment property he purchased. And of course, just to explain to people, so the Criminal Assets Bureau go after people like in civil proceedings. So always in civil proceedings, there's value to settling rather than to going ahead to full hearings. Probably value for both sides. And in a way, both sides nearly always have to walk away with it, seemingly with a bit of a win. So he's come to the table. They've got the watches, they've got one of the houses, but he's been left with one house. Yeah. And he's, he's been left. So it wasn't, it wasn't a complete wipeout from, yeah. from his point of view. Um, and I suppose the, the fact they've been gone on for more than three years meant for the criminal assets period, they could wrap this one up. It's been fairly slow. I think there might've been even, even last week, I think there, there might even have been attempts to again, make a switch of lawyers, which was refused by the judge. 
So that was, um, so the, the kind of the previously made agreement just was was done and dusted. Um, but it, it, look, I mean, it's dragged through. I, I mean, we've seen it probably even more more clearly yeah, because there's been more hearings in regards to his brother uh, David and mm-hmm. his wife Charlene. Um, and that has just, you know, it's dragged on and on and there's been kind of uh, free legal free legal aid applications which were then appealed by by the Criminal Access Bureau and then new evidence was unearthed so the Court of Appeal returned it back to the Criminal Access Bureau. So again, and there was a German sought a lot of the time. So, I mean, it's just, it's just been a, a long struggle. Now, there was actually a two-day hearing but unfortunately, both of us are on holiday. Right, <laughs> so, okay, for the so, David Waldron case. So the David Waldron case oh. has also been fully heard now at this stage. So, But the, the, the judgment has not been published. It's and the affidavits have been opened to the courts. We so, will be able to so, apply for them. Yeah, and there'll be a full, there'll be a full written judgment. So yeah. we'll, we'll get a lot more information when, when the judge hands down, you know, or publishes that. And that could be, and it could be anytime soon. It could be tomorrow, or it might be sometime in six months' time. So... <laughs> like, where did it all start for the Waldrons in regard their battle with the Criminal Assets Bureau? We know they have long, um, going way back, you know, connections with um, organised crime, with the Marlow Highland, etc. They have sort of been seen as being the ones who took over Eamon the Don Dunn's patch. Um, maybe not in quite such an aggressive, murderous fashion as he ran it, but they have sort of been... They're believed to have taken over that that part of Dublin. Yeah, it's, it's possible. It's possible they were quite. You know, they were probably the last best competent people to right. take over the gang at that stage. I mean, they were actually involved in. They were directors, I think, of a, a motor business back at that time. That's going to happen to us, by the way, in the media yeah. business when people keep leaving. We'll eventually be, <laughs> we'll eventually be the only people left competent <laughs> yeah. to run the whole show. And now at one hundred and nine. Yeah. Okay. Here's <laughs> But um, so they they were linked to a motor business um, that a fellow called Richard Kyo uh, was shot dead in Spain in 2009. So they were linked to him. So they they obviously had a bit of get up and go and a bit of ability about them, despite their, you know, troublesome, you know, uh, uh, list of criminal convictions, which include a pretty nasty assault in 2013 for which they got a, a sentence, but that will probably come up. So, I mean, they, they would have been, I suppose, the first time then we, we heard about them was in 2017. There was a series of cabarets, 24 premises were were, were raided. There was a lot of stuff seized. And uh, and the first kind of major piece that appeared in the um, in the media at the time with the headline Brothers of Bling was a piece that you wrote at that time. And that was really the first time that there's anything, you know, of note that kind of puts them in. In, in that frame, you know, mm. that they're at that level of of um, criminality. I mean, before that, they would have been described as associates of Eamon Dunn in relation to the, the assault case, you know, for which the two, they both got two years, which is pretty nasty. There was a guy, um, I think he was, he was connected to, you know, a, a murdered drug dealer who called to her house and made threats. And he would then, he went to a pub in Cabra not too far away. And while he was there, the the, the two Waldrons came in and they're, and they're, they're a great friend, Mark Bucko Buckley, and another man, and they used a wheel brace, a handsaw. Um, I think a, a barstool was broken over the guy. He was, you know, seriously injured, and it was all caught on CCTV. And this was what was used in evidence against them, because the victim of the assaults never made a statement and didn't cooperate with the guards. So uh, that was really, you know, that's the first time we heard of him. And while he was in jail, this is when the famous Darview, the the lovely country residence that you now have your eye on, that's when that's when that got built. When is it going up for sale? Well, whenever this case is finished. <laughs> we might find out. <laughs> yes. I have a note that David Waldron first for, fortified his home on the Rattoth Road. That's obviously his family home. And then he built this stunning mansion in the Wexford countryside while he was in jail. 
I think the planning permission, possibly for that assault, that the planning permission was granted around March 2015. So he probably was serving a sentence at that point. And the building costs they estimated on this house was 1.2 million. Um, Do you want to describe it? It's no, I, I couldn't really. Well, these are your words, though, if I just start describing it, because uh, you really should have been working for an estate agency, I think, at the time, Nicola. It was pretty. Uh, so it was, it was, I actually doorstepped the architect. <laughs> That's the truth. Was he, uh, well, I see he was very happy with your description of that. Well, he, he was like amongst the 24 homes and businesses searched as part of this sort of cab case into the two brothers were an architect's firm, accountant's firm. So it was always those sort of legitimate businesses that didn't know what they were involved in, but they often find themselves, solicitor's offices as well, find themselves caught up in these cab raids. And yes, this this gentleman, I did ask him about it, but anyway. Okay, this is quoting now from you. Yes. I, I couldn't sure possibly my words be as are florid and as descriptive yeah. as you were in your writing style. But um, look, it's a, it's a lovely stone-clad two-story house. It's kind of, you know, sunken into the to the hill slightly. It's surrounded by, you know, a stone-clad wall as well, or probably a stone wall, not just clad. Um, you described it as, you know, uh, pretty much like a, a luxury hotel. It's 3,000 square feet, comes with ensuite bedrooms, double doors opening out onto a view- viewing platforms. And Waldron designed his very own manden in his country hideaway. And uh, they also discovered it was fitted out with a bar, a pool table, and a specially framed poster of The Godfather. You see, there you go. These guys always think that they're in the movies. I mean, the movies are made to reflect them, and then they reflect the people in the movies. So ironic. Yeah, I think there's a, yeah, well, you, you can argue though, I suppose the movie's originally based on someone else, but, you know, but those guys probably were. They just want to be in the movies. Yeah, you know, looking at the old Hollywood street crawlers, taking pictures of the guys getting locked up and, you know, the famous line where some mafioso is, is trying to hide his face with his hat. And he says, he said, if, you know, who's going to make you famous? And so he removed his hat for a second just to let the photographer get a picture and then yeah. put it back over his face again. <laughs> so yeah, I, did, I think there is a certain element of yeah. people looking for notoriety um, one way or another. But yeah, no, it, look, it looks like um, it's... it's, it's um, so we went down there, myself and Ernie, to have a look at that house. I mean, this was during these raids that it sort of became evident that the Waldrons were not just known associates, but they were serious um, players who had, you know, literally gathered this portfolio of properties and this house in a place called Laraheen outside Gordy uh, was basically the jewel in the crown. It was beautiful. I mean, as you were looking at it, it was all fenced off around it and everything. But to the right of it was this like outdoor arena, show jumping arena. And there was a place for stables and it was in a kind of a valley. I'd never be able to take you there because Ernie drove, unfortunately. If I drive... I can always bring you back to the place without a sat-nav. A homing pigeon. If I'm, yeah. not, if I'm not driving, I haven't a uh, hope. I don't know what county I'm in. But anyway, this was, there was a lot of winding roads. It was very much in a rural little area, but gorgeous, beautiful house. And I don't think they used it when well, maybe they did. We, we went back a few times and it seemed to have been like as soon as, as it was exposed after the cab raids, it kind of would just lay there. I think as they, they're fighting these guys, a lot of these guys are fighting cab out of pride in a way. Yeah, I think so. Um, until they realised that they might have to actually pay the legal fees, which is why, you know, it's been so slow in this case that they've fought to try and get, uh, you know, free legal aid, which you don't automatically get in a civil case, When you, whereas you do, if you, if you can, you know, depending on your income. And uh, look, uh, nearly everyone gets free legal aid if it's a serious enough charge in Ireland, which mm-hmm. is a good thing, I think. 
Um, but look, these guys can, you know, they're trying to look for it. Um, in the end, he did get it. Like, I mean, he was given kind of free legal aid um, and the Criminal Access Bureau appealed it, but more evidence then came forward um, and it went back and the judge basically then allowed for €8,000 to be, you know, used for a forensic accountant to kind of challenge some of the affidavits right. from the, the the cab site, you know, who were able to show X amount of money yeah. was used in different transfers because this house that we're talking about, Darview, it, it, it wasn't in his name. And there was four kind of major payments made, none of them through him. Yeah. So like there was a lot of, there was a lot of work and a lot of forensic accountancy work to be able to tie back all the payments. Like I have a note here that they went as far back as 1980 looking at finances. So this would have been family members who would have claimed to have had money for various reasons. So that this is how far they went back. It just kind of shows, shows that the leg was, of those investigations, doesn't it? Yeah. And you're talking about 3 million euro, almost 3 million euro worth of unexplained cash because yeah. you also had, I mean, like Caber talking about, there was a house in Leakslip which had 315,000 euro worth of refurbishments done. And then another house in Cabra with 633,000, you know, uh, for a furbish. I mean, you could build, you know, two new houses yeah, for that. Yeah. So it just shows you the level of, you know, I mean, you've brought this up before, is that the thinking was with these guys that if we put it into refurbishing the properties, then the cab won't be able to get hold of it because it's in a family home. Exactly. But, that's, they're saying they've, that. they've, they've pulled the plug on that really with them because I think there was so much of it. I think in court, the Criminal Assets Bureau said Waldron had claimed that he got the money to buy this first house he bought in 2001 in Glenty's Park in Finglas. And he got that through Dole money. And they and he was also supposed to be working as a plasterer and a security guard. And they went back there to see if he could show the earnings and to prove that basically you couldn't save while on the dole. I mean, the purpose of the dole is not that you can save to buy a house. It's really just to keep somebody in food and heat and a roof over their head yeah. while they're waiting yeah, to and, get a and job. It's, it's pretty obvious. I mean, it's, it's something that actually came up in, in one, I think it was the court hearing in, in June 2020. And like Cab was saying, like, you know, that he, he was claiming that that he worked for his father and they said, look, there's no evidence to support this. And they were saying if his claims that this 18,000 euro from his dole money was used to buy the house, then it should be easy proof. And it should be easy proof. And yeah. they couldn't, you know, Cab went looking for it because they're not going to, they're not going to waste their time in a case where, you know, where they can be quickly, you know, outwitted, so to speak, by the, you know, the opposition. So they're not going to waste their time. So they they do dot their I's and cross their T's in that regard um, mm. before they bring it, you know, to a high court. I mean, the likes of uh, Joe Jones, you know, has a, has a kind of a, a reputation as being, un, unlike uh, yourself, has a very good reputation for the maths and the figures. <laughs> And you know, and he often like says, like the, the best evidence is, is you know, is in is in the fact is is in the figures. I would agree with him. Like, and, and he can't, like you know, and so I mean, you you can't really sort of say, well, I don't know how I got, or you can't leave it vague as to where substantial sums of cash. And you're not talking about like, you know, eighty quid going missing from a till. You're talking about three million quid. Yeah. And and if the if the guards are saying, like, we have intelligence to say that these guys, you know, they were known as associates of, you know, major um, drug dealers. We believe that they've taken over the business and this is what they're doing and this is how they're making money. And, you know, a guy who's supposedly on the dole or working as a plasterer is suddenly spending three million. Sorry, and I, I said it was four different people. It was actually six different cash payments. So it was, mm. it was a, re it's a really complex case. Um, and, and one, you know, I think that's consistently testing both the legislation and I suppose the skills of the Criminal Assets Bureau and how good their people are. Um, yeah. And like, it's, it's not cheap. You know, to 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 if they're if they're hiring in forensic accounts, I know they have some on board, but I'm sure they have to bring in people as well. Um, and 
But they put their all into every case. And I think that's what often when you talk to them, Mick Gubbins is the chief there and previous chiefs before him have always said, it's actually not about, <laughs> while it's all about the mathematics and the figures, it's actually more than that. They're not actually looking to make money, Cab, even though they do make money for the exchequer. It's about denying these proceeds of crime to people involved in criminality. It's about the optics of that within a community when you have the likes of the Waldrons lording it over everybody else. They've better everything. They have this, that and the other. And denying them that is giving a message, really. And and, and I think they've done that um, very well, even at a smaller level where you have people that they've targeted for the likes of 100,000 and 200,000 because that's possibly all they can easily get. Yeah. And, and they'll take a house off them in, you know, whether it's uh, Dundalk or, or Kilrush or Limerick or somewhere. And it's about sending a message to the people in, in the neighbourhood. You keep talking to us and, you know, if they turn up in a, you know, Mercedes G-Wagon or something worth 200 grand, tell us and we'll take it off them. Yeah. And I, I think that's important because if people see, you know, if people see, you know, criminal gangs and, you know, the, the major players within, within them, you know, being able to enjoy their ill-gotten gains and stay rooted in their community, it's it's wrong. It's corruptive. It's, it's sorry, corrosive. And, yes. You know, and corrupting to have people like that. I mean, like, you know, we've seen it in the past where some of these guys end up sponsoring local football teams, like, you know, or they'll, they'll turn up to them making charity donations, you know, really trying to play the the Al Capone that, you know, or the Robin Hood that we're, we're the, we're the good guys. And, yeah. you know, and, and, and it's, it's not quite uh, as far as the provisional IRA were, but it's, it's almost like kind of s- setting up an alternative state in, in places where there's a certain level of distrust and also, I suppose, uh, financial deprivation in an area that these mm. guys can quickly fill a, a little, they can fill a vacuum that's been left there by the state. If, if that if that happens. So, I mean, I, th- I think it's important to let people know that they're not the biggest dog on the block. Now, in 2020, the case was first brought to the courts, the Criminal Assets Bureau case. They had three years at that point been kind of basically pouring over the documents that would have been seized during those raids and also anything else they could get their hands on. Um, it was at that point that David Waldron asked for the free legal aid. Judge Alex Owen moved quickly to hear the case and he got the legal aid. Charlene Waldron, David's wife, came on as a beneficial, with somebody with a beneficial interest in the house. And um, there it trucked along. But in 2021, in a separate part of the forest, there was a a organised crime raid on a premises and there was cash of one million euro found in it and it was concealed in vehicles. Now that at the time was understood to be Waldron uh, related or certainly the, that, that their associates in the gang it was believed to be their cash. So they're being hit at a couple of angles here now. Um, you have the the civil proceedings going on about their their um, assets, but you also have them as targets of the Drugs and Organised Crime Bureau. And it was 2022 that David Waldron got the 8K to pay a forensic accountant to go through his bank accounts, the house purchases and his lifestyle. But at the same time, the couple were claiming that they couldn't afford uh you know, solicitor's fees or whatever else, they were found to have hosted a christening party. Yeah. yeah. This is the new evidence, basically, that, that came up that um, saw the Court of Appeal send the case back to the to the High Court, back to the, the, the proceeds of crime list. Uh, and so that, you know, so, the, so it was back in front of the judge. And again, he had to rehear whether or not he should give them free legal aid. So, you know, CAB were, were 
pretty much fighting this. So yeah, yeah. so there was, they, they kind of said basically that they, they had a, a christening party at a hotel where the venue was paid 5,000 in cash. And Councillor Cabot at the time was saying there would have been other expenses now, which they didn't have proof of. Right. But they had they said there must have been other expenses for the party at which two bands and a DJ played for 100 guests. So, <laughs> That's some uh, christening. And, and it was quite the christening, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, they described it as the couple were playing cat and mouse with the court, um, saying that their, their affidavits that were sent in reply don't explain their wealth, but are just bold assertions, as they put it. They were just saying, look, this is how we made it. But there was no paperwork to back it up, which is always going to catch out, you know, um, and these things, I mean, they also said they bought a Land Rover in March 2020 for 23 grand. Uh, it was paid for by five grand in cash, um, four and a half thousand from a, a credit union loan, and the rest was financed. Um, they said that, that while the couple had declared they only had one pony in their statement of assets and income, Cam found that there were other ponies they owned. And they also found that David Waldron was car dealing. At, right. the t- at the time as well. And claiming pandemic unemployment. And and claiming pandemic unemployment they weren't entitled to, apparently. Uh, and they then, could tell you how to, they could actually teach you how to live, these people. But the important part was, though, like they also denied that, um, you know, it was it was all him doing the, the car dealing and that one of them was actually his, his uh, I think it was six or seven year old son who was just car dealing. started. He was, yeah, it was his car that was sold. <laughs> so it, it wasn't actually his money. <gasps> okay. Um, I've heard it all. So, now. I mean, so Cabo are trying to Cabo are trying to say, look, that they, you know, even since kind of the original uh, hearing about free legal aid in 2019, they're saying, well, there's obviously been, you know, evidence in their case. They were saying all this evidence was pointing to the fact that they were able to gen- generate a serious amount of cash, and was suggesting that the court had been misled. That's what the counsel for 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 Cabo were saying, and and so in this case, then. Uh, the judge agreed then he would give a certain amount of free legal aid, but it was specifically for an, a forensic accountant so that right. they could do an answer to the cab's version of it. And, and 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 it wasn't what they were looking for. And he brought it down to eight grand, which he always does on how long it takes him to... And he's it. very fair, you know, that judge, I think. And he's very um, thorough, as we've spoken about him before. He always makes sure that nothing will come back on him. Do you know what I mean? He doesn't do anything in anger. or You know, he's very... Yeah, he'd be very even, like yeah. you know, and and I think it came up and there was another. I can't remember which case it was now, but there was, I think it's one from involving a Longford family, including something like eight respondents in that, and they were looking for. I mean, I think each of them were looking for forensic accountants and and um, an evaluator to you know, and they couldn't get anyone in Ireland, so they're going to have to fly people from England, and it was going to cost like you know one hundred and forty thousand. And the judge, he said he wasn't having it, and. He, the, the financial, uh, uh, the forensic accountant was saying, like, well, there's 111 pages in this file, and I figure it's going to take me X amount of hours, and therefore I want 70. And the judge said, well, it took me nine hours to do the whole lot, so you're getting nine hours, and the going rate is whatever. And it was. he did that, and he would have done it, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, yeah. he's not going to lie in his own court, is he? For a no, start, he's but, not. But I like, mean, that know, is, like and I can just imagine him doing that because he is that. Put forensic himself, he isn't starts. he? Yeah, so I mean, they basically got nine hours and he says the same for all of you, so you're all getting the same thing. He wouldn't go into that court and try to pull the wool over his no, eyes. I, no, I don't think so. Like, and I mean, it, it, like, I think, those, you know, it is public money and he's not going yeah. to throw it about and it's something that he's kind of, yeah. The judge says, quote, to be, he has to be careful with public money. Um, but he will listen to arguments. Yeah. But I mean, yeah. and, and you know, and arguments have to be backed up or sorry, they have to be on affidavit and then presented in court by by counsel or by the respondents themselves. But he, he will listen to it, but you're going to have to, you're going to have to be spot on, I think. There was one other little interesting factor in this that I just thought would be worth mentioning. Um, Christopher Git Waldron, uh, who has settled his case, was 
rumoured to have bought suits for a number of the mourners and he carried the coffin at the funeral of James Whelan, who was the young gun victim involved in the feud with the flashy gang. Now they were all, they were at one point one gang and they split and Whelan basically sort of led one mob on one side and flashy on the other in a bid to kind of for that drug turf. But they're young, they're very chaotic. There's a lot of incidents still going on out in the Finglas area. Um, you know, there's basically been female relatives' houses being targeted. There's all this sort of stuff. I would say similar kind of trajectory that Drogheda was on before the feud got very, very dangerous. That sort of tit-for-tat stuff, street fighting, etc. Um, Whelan was shot dead on April the 3rd by, well, suspected by members of the Flashy Gang and 29 previous convictions himself. The funeral, I think, was filmed, was put all over social media. It was a sort of a culturally one of those Instagram gangster type funerals. But it interests me that when you look at what happened in Drogheda, and I'm not suggesting that exactly this is Waldron, but when you see older criminals involved with younger ones, like in Drogheda, there was older criminals there that were kind of directing what happened on the ground. You know, they were directing these younger guys and what to do, you know, go out and fight him. And and the thing built until it culminated in the murder of Keane Mulready Woods, his dismemberment and his body parts been left all over the country, which are over the city, which was absolutely apparent and was so apparent. It was a news story from Australia to the States to everywhere. Um, it wasn't just us that were shocked by it. But yeah, that idea that those sort of veterans, those older ones who've been through it, who've survived, who've come out cleverer, brighter, that they're sort of there as these mentors for the youngers. Yeah, and and don't don't forget. I suppose the likes of Mister Flashy would be what third generation on from Marla Highland. So yeah, you know, get Waldron somewhere in between. So you don't really know the relationships, and it could be you know whether it's family relationships or or uh, you know friendship relationships. It, they wouldn't necessarily be clear to to even people on the ground, even people themselves involved. And it was surprising because people had wondered why none of the more senior criminals from Finglas were getting involved. I mean, if you consider that mm. Mr. Flashy, I suppose it was it was Trevor Byrne had been kind of the leader of that gang before him, before his, you know, various troubles ended up behind prison as well. Uh, I, and and there was a kind of like, you know, how come none of these guys are getting obviously involved? And, and the story was that they were all, they were genuinely kind of uh, taking an arm's length, you know, kind of uh, approach to it. But because... I suppose these younger fellas were just, you know, a bit too wild for their liking. So if you consider that, uh, you know, we've been talking about the Waldrons as possibly, you know, you know, you know, that they ended up in the right place at the right time and the most competent. You wonder, was that a good move or was it a message at the time for him mm. to take such a, I suppose, such a prominent role in the funeral? Like he carried the coffin out. He was right in front. I mean, we big yeah. picture on the Sunday world, you know, I mean, it, it's a, I need, you know, it was reported he he paid for the suits for a number of people. They wore the the black suits, you know, the mourner suits and all the rest, uh, which is very much, I, I suppose, it's always a way of making a statement as the Canins famously did. You Absolutely. Know. And there is a kind of bigger picture in it. You see it with sometimes with the, maybe the way organised crime would support the far right. Because when somebody else is sucking all the resources of the state, as in these younger criminals with their tit for tat, you know, firebombs and whatever else, their eye is taken off them 
and it's probably a clever business way if you support the kind of the youngsters causing trouble. It's probably a quite a clever way to protect your own business and to sort of make sure that, you know, there isn't a load of resources being pumped in on top of you. Well, I suppose, yeah, you, you can argue it's a, a, you know, it's a possible, I'm not sure um, if that would work. You know, I, I, do, I do think it would, it would bring in more heat in the long run. It would certainly, you'd, you'd have presumably surveillance then in areas where you mightn't expect because of, of stuff like this going on. I mean, it can't be good for business to have, you know, mm. arson attacks going on, but, you know, it, sometimes it might be more trouble than it's worth to stop it. You know, if they're thinking, look, they're, they're just fighting among themselves, let them at it. You know, as some people say about, you know, criminals fighting among themselves in general, like some of these guys might be quite happy to let the young fellas slug it out and burn each other's houses down so long as they don't, so long as they don't affect business. Mm -hmm. you know? The, um, like the effects of losing those properties. And I mean, you know, you can look on some of those properties and, and maybe those watches as being a drop in the ocean in a bigger budget of, you know, what you'd be making out of cocaine or whatever drug it is you're dealing. But actually with, I always find with them, they hate losing anything to the state. They're sort of anti-state anyway. And it's just, it stays so raw with them for so long. It does have a huge effect, no matter the value of the items. And some of these guys are absolute penny pinchers as well. Like yeah. they hate, like, you know, hand, handing out cash, you know, and they'll, they'll try and coerce somebody into doing something rather than pay them. There is there is exceptions to that. It was there was one there was somebody who was quite generous. He used to give five hundred quid for burning out of cars and stuff like that. So <laughs> he never had any trouble getting people to do his dirty work. Who was that? Um, I'm just trying to think of it now. I can't remember. But that that was you know I mean, so people have different approaches to it. Yeah. Um, but like, but generally they're pretty tight and pretty mean with their money. And they, and, they don't like the and, cab. And there's a loss of face as well yeah. because and and like cab, to some extent, are rubbing their noses in it. I know. Well, officially they're not. But, you know, effectively, that's what's happening, you know, when when it is widely reported, not just in the Sunday world, but like, you know, you know, since we started covering the cab, I mean, the Irish Times are there now and, you know, yeah. you know, and, and other news organizations have started turning up at the at the cab hearings again, uh, which is great, I think. And, you know, it, it's 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 kind of getting the message out there and they're not going to like it. Well, know? I always reckoned that the Criminal Assets Bureau was like getting a job in the National Lottery. You were always coming to the media with good news, weren't you? You really were. You were always coming with some kind of piece of good news. It's never really like, you know, cab doing dreadful yeah, job. It's, 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 a winner. Yeah. it's a winner. We have another winner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The uh, the Lotto PR job had to have been the uh, one of the best ever in the country, I always thought. thought of that. Yeah. That might be my next place I'll send my CV. Oh, definitely. If we don't get the top jobs here, <laughs> which of course we will. I think we've been ruled out by now, Nicola. <laughs> you never know. Anyway, I have my calculator now, so I'll be able to work out my pay increase. Great. Yeah. Okay, Eamon, thank you very much. Always a pleasure, Nicola. You've been listening to Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. Produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me, Nicola Talent. Research assistant is Claude Amini. If you like this show and love true crime, leave us a review. Or why not download the free sundayworld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe. Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take The Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on.
Do not consume the Sunday world if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume the Sunday world responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary.